What's up, all you old school, new school listening to motherfuckers? It's that time of the week again. Yes, bitch. It is another delicious episode of old school, new school comedy podcast. And I am your trashy ass host with the fucking cunty crass mouth, Christy Miller. Hey, girl. And with me in the studio this week is not even and one of my oldest friends and i don't mean age but i do (laughs) it's both it's yeah it's both we've i've i started in in almost 28 oh it's on coming on 28 years now i started at the comedy store and i met this man right when i started when i was a waitress and an open micer at the comedy store and we kept in touch. We lost touch for years, and I moved to New York, and then we ended up doing shows together, having spots together at clubs in Midtown, and just reconnected our friendship, and uh, it's been great ever since. He's uh, He's been around for 4,942 years. He uh, came up. The earth cooled, and I started doing <laughs> yeah. stand-up. Well, you did it before the earth cooled, and then when he did his act, the earth cooled. Yeah, that's what cooled the earth. Yeah. He actually came up under the legend Sam Kinison, so you know this dude has more stories than the Holy Bible. And <laughs> he also is one of the two owners of a comedy club, a brand-new comedy club in Newark, New Jersey, called the Comedy diner where i was at this past weekend which is a super fun club go check it out if you're in the beautiful metropolis that is newark new jersey the comedy diner i want rolling metropolis (laughs) the desolate zombie factor of newark new jersey zombie apocalypse uh you guys this is one of my dearest friends in the whole world one of the funniest storytellers i've ever known what a brilliant comic mr jim madrinos oh that is so sweet thank you you know, I wrote that as I came here because Did I didn't really? know it. <laughs> it was all off the cuff. Look at me improving. Top, top of the head, man. Improvisational genius. She should host. <laughs> man, has it been that's a lot of years we know each other. I know. Yeah, and, and that's back when the the store was crazy. The store was crazy and beginning its dark days. Remember yeah. that? The dark decade. I was I was gone and back on this coast by the time the dark decade started. So yeah. pretty much, you know, because I didn't stay out there much longer after Sam died. Yeah. You know, and any time I was out there, I was out there because I was writing a TV show or, or you know, consulting with a TV Bracker. show. So, you know, Bracker. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my time in L.A., because I, I never liked L.A. No, you're not an L.A. guy. No. no, you're definitely not an LA guy. You're too, you just, you're too not giving a shit about other people's feelings like I am. Like yeah. I was born and raised in California, and people growing up thought in San Francisco were like, what part of Jersey or Brooklyn are you from? I said, San Francisco, the fag part. Like, where do you want me to say I'm from? Like, uh, I'm not. Fr- <laughs> I had one really good paying writing job on TV, and, uh, you know, the, the schedule was Monday through Friday. At Friday, we'd be done by six o'clock. And I would literally fly back to New York 
to do a gig somewhere on a Saturday. Yeah. Usually here at the comic strip, I would yeah. do the gig and then fly back for Monday morning on the red eye on Saturday. He would clock out at six from the show and at six oh one be in a cab and at six twenty eight be at LAX on a plane Pretty back much. to New York. Well, no, you're not putting the LA traffic in there. I'd leave at six, I'd get to LAX at midnight. <laughs> the next day. Yeah. There's a lot of traffic oh, at LAX. God. I love how they call it freeway because there's no free or way about it. It is a parking lot. Yeah, it is awful. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it was interesting my time out there, but uh, thankfully beautifully short. Mm-hmm. But at least I got to meet you on those. Oh yeah, in and out days. Yeah, you know, and I gotta tell you, the clubs out there were just booming. You'd go up at the Improv, where I couldn't get I couldn't get in in the Improv in New York City, my home city. But I was I was working at out there. You yeah, because you were on TV, and New York doesn't give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> New York will tell you to go fuck yourself in two much. seconds. <laughs> so you know, it, it was it was fun to shoveling back and forth, and it was a great time to be a comic from the '80s to the '90s. Just magical time to be a comic it really was i mean there was i mean because i started in 95 and you were like going in and out of of la at that time like bouncing in and out but it was a really great time because even though like the comedy scene took a dive like the internet was invented yeah people were staying home more there was that one writer strike that we had in 2000 or 99 whatever that was and nobody was going out people were staying home so the comedy store, we'd have to beg people to come in, you know, like I'll suck your dick for a two drink minimum kind of thing. Yeah. And but I can tell you this. I am even though I was there in the worst decade of the comedy store's existence. But I will tell you this. It was probably the greatest learning experience as a young comic to go through hell in the Mecca of the comedy store. Well, and not be spoiled rotten like these kids are now. We, the kids today. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this last night. When you were in a showcase club in New York or L.A. during that time, you'd walk in and there would be legitimate superstars mm-hmm. that, that would be there. Like, you know, the, the Buddy Hackett story from the comedy store in Los Angeles. Tell where, us. Um, Buddy Hackett one time. You know, he's in L.A. He comes into the comedy store. I think I told you this last night. He was drunk as a skunk. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just like off his rockers drunk. And and everyone's looking around like that. That's Buddy Hackett. And, and, you know, he's like, what is this place? It's his comedy outside. And they go, oh, it's a comedy club. And he looks around and it's Buddy Hackett who's used to playing in Vegas. He goes, this is not a comedy club. (laughs) This is a dump. (laughs) You know, So and then he proceeds. They said, do you want? go up and do a, a few minutes and he goes up and he proceeds to do two hours of brilliant material oh, flat out drunk and, and genius in in the middle of it you know this is this is how you know somebody is legendary in the middle of it richard Pryor walks into the room of course and you know how mitzi was like mm-hmm. richard i'll get him off stage and get you on and richard's mm-hmm. like no nah, i want to watch him mm-hmm. you know and, and richard just sat in the back and watched and then the two of them went out and talked for hours yeah rich that's true richard Pryor form for those that didn't get to I mean I was lucky enough to get to know him very well go to his house because of Paul Mooney yeah you know so I got to see the other side of Richard on top of seeing him perform when I first got there Monday Wednesday Fridays at eight o'clock in the OR to help Mitzi yeah 
and then he got too sick and it became like sporadic but yeah but that was true Richard he loved stand-up comedy yeah and he if there was somebody that it. he hadn't seen or he hadn't uh-huh. seen in a while mm-hmm. he just he would sit in the back and watch mm-hmm. like a fan mm-hmm. he fanboyed hard hardcore I would watch him fanboy and he would get so excited when people were really funny or someone came in that he loved he's like oh and he was like so into it yeah such a cool dude yeah and and you know what brilliant just a brilliant brilliant performer oh magical storyteller like this like even hanging out with him and he was very sick at that time but still like being i remember there's this story when one of the nights we went up to his house in encino mooney and i and this is back, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. This is before, you know, yeah. I was still living in L.A., in. so it was like the early 2000s. We would go visit him. So we were sitting in his bedroom because he was very sick, so he was bedridden. And this is back when TVs, those big giant consoles that, like, yeah. took up a bedroom. He had one of those in the bedroom, and he had a rocking chair. So Mooney sat in the rocking chair. Richard's in bed, and the TV's playing, so I lied on the bed with Richard. What's he going to do? You know? <laughs> and I said, and I go, leave it to you, Richard. Even cripple, you're still getting white pussy in your bed. He screamed out loud because he didn't expect me to just come out and say it. Yeah. And I was, we were dying. They were watching Mannix, and then I was heckling because, you know, I had to work the room. Well, even when, if you watch Pryor, the magic of Pryor is the simplicity uh, of his humor. When uh, I think it was the Comedy Store, um, Comedy Store anniversary was the, his last televised appearance, I believe. Yes, the 20th anniversary special. Yeah. And, um, and we just had the 50th. Isn't he, that crazy? Yeah, I know. And he goes up there and they're talking, and, and, and he's doing his bit, and he talks about his trip to Africa. Oh, that's such a great bit yeah and the, and the you know I, and he has this great line where he goes i run up to the first african i see and see tell me tell me what i look like and the, and the guy goes you look italian and, and just <laughs> the simplicity of that line no 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 no. tell me what tribe you think i come from oh you look italian <laughs> it, it's it's perfect and in the simplicity that he has always had with construction delivery and it, it was all about what his face read. It was all about the emotion that came out when he delivered the punchline. He, he told jokes with the emotions that he wore on his sleeve. Oh, yeah. And he didn't tell it from a... Like, he wasn't trying to be clever. <laughs> he felt his material. And he was so raw on stage emotionally. Not oh, even, yeah. like, as a, as we go up raw as a comic, just, you know, bearing our souls or whatever. But he was, like, very emotional. And everything was just, like, you felt every emotion. You... His expressions, his act outs, are just genius. I will move you. you know, he would emphasize emotionally in his voice, and it, it led to an economy of writing. Yep. As some, I, I study the writing. I love the writing of stand up. Yeah, you well, know? you're a brilliant fucking writer. Just, just Thank you. like I love your storytelling and your writing. It just, it, 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 it still blows my mind after 28 years just to watch you go on a stage and just murder with like you could go up in a dead room and you'll just tell stories and you just murder it's amazing to watch you know but thank you and, and i appreciate the compliment but just watching what Pryor would do that emotion by putting that emotion in there mm-hmm. he was able to cut out sentences yep. and paragraphs and just get to it faster yeah and when when i started studying comedy and then watching because I, I started falling in love with comedy watching freddie prince but i don't have the talent that 
that a Freddie Prince had. Freddie Prince was all about charisma. Yeah. I'm just not that charismatic. I'm just not. <laughs> Is anybody, though? <laughs> and, and then, and then I, got, I got to spend a lot of time with Sam, and Sam, again, is cult of personalities. You know, when you boil it down, Sam had some brilliant stuff, some absolutely brilliant stuff, but most of Sam's laughs came from the fact that he had a tremendous audacity on stage. And then I looked at Pryor, and I'm studying Pryor, you know, at, at a time when everybody from my generation was like, Carlin, Carlin, Carlin. Right. I'm looking at Pryor, and I'm going, no, this, this man tells stories. This man has an emotional core. This man has a beginning, a middle, and an end to every mm -hmm. one of his bits. That's what I want to do. Like he's like you would watch like a little mini sitcom or a short like a, oh, yeah. a mini movie with his bits. Like oh yeah, you didn't just watch a man do his comedy. You saw the story and the whole action. Like the you brought up the Africa bit when he went to Africa. Yeah. Like when I watch him do that bit, it's like I'm in Africa and I see all the stage becomes the safari. And, and, and he's so fucking. And good. for me, even better, you when he when the other gentleman says you look Italian, you see in his face how disappointed he is you see the heartbreak it's brilliant oh he was such a one of a kind man and then yeah. like it was like that was i was so lucky and fortunate to come up under paul mooney like that he took me under his wing like in the instant we met we were like best friends oh mooney was mooney was fun especially because a, a lot of times i was so opposite mooney politically so when we worked together <laughs> he he would just you know yeah all right way devil you know, he, was, he would just get right to it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, never mince words. And it got to the point where he finally figured out I would intentionally take the opposite point of view <laughs> just to mess with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it took him like a few months to figure that out. That would, yeah. But once he figured it out, then. Oh, then, homie, you're too funny. And then he would start taking the opposite, like affirmative action should never be, you know, and, <laughs> to have me argue the racist point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's so fun to, to watch comics and see what they do because that personality quirk of Mooney's, yeah. uh, the confrontational thing, oh. that's his act. Yeah. That's that's what he does on stage or He's, did on stage. He was like, like we used to call him the professor. Yeah. When he would be in town and at the store doing the late spot, you know, doing the Kinnison spot. Yeah. And, oh, the professor's here. And the wait staff would be pissed because they'd have to stay late. And I would be excited because my best friend is on stage. You know, he's closing the show. And just to, like when I first started, I would just study him and study how his mannerisms, his delivery, his cadence, his posture, everything I studied, Mooney, Mooney, Mooney. And he taught me so much as a young comic because I am so off the cuff. I am so in your face. And I also, I'm very blatant with my punchlines. I don't skate around. I don't describe shit because my head doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I just go like as, as a five-year-old would tell you, you know, basically like a giant five-year-old. With a, yeah. with a sassy attitude. <laughs> what well, well, was fun for me in the discovery of Paul Mooney, because I knew all about Pryor and I'd seen Pryor. And, right. You know, Sam made the connection for me and Pryor. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I, I was hanging out with another one of Sam's buddies and it wasn't it wasn't at the comedy store. It was at um, the, the, the 
um, Comedy Magic Club in oh, Pasadena. God. Do you remember that place? That's, uh, that's in Hermosa Beach. Hermosa Beach, thank you. Uh, Ice House is Pasadena. Ice House is Pasadena. Um, but again, I'm, I'm out there one day and I'm with another one of Sam's cohorts, Ron Shock, who, uh, uh, if you ever have the chance to see the little bit that he has on YouTube, possibly the greatest storytelling in the history of storytelling comedians. Oh, my God. He, he, may, he may be the Babe Ruth of that. And um, we're out there, and Paul is going to go on stage. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, we're, you know, I'm about to leave because it, it's a long drive back. And Ron's like, oh, no, you can't leave. You've not seen him, right? And I'm like, no, I haven't seen him. <laughs> well, then sit down, buckle up. You got to watch him. And I, I always ask comics this question. When there's a veteran comic who tells me to see another performer, I'm mm-hmm. like, why? What should I be watching for? Mm-hmm. I want to know what it is that they think I should need. Right. They're like, you need to see somebody that doesn't give a fuck about the reception of the art. Yep. And, and that's what I studied with Paul. And it, that so succinctly put, you don't give a fuck about the reception of the art. Mm-hmm. You know, two things. One, that was Paul in a nutshell. <laughs> but number two, what a brilliant takeaway as an artist to watch somebody and go oh this is more brilliant when it's selfish this should be for the artist and not for the audience uh-huh. that's amazing that was one that was one of the big things i learned working with paul all yeah. those years was the freedom yeah to do what i do on stage and not give a shit about people in the audience how they're going to take it just be myself and i remember one night i got off stage at caroline's on broadway where we used to work almost every weekend and i just murdered and paul would stay stand in the back every show and watch me because you know I was his yeah. kid so I get off stage he goes honey you were brilliant and I said oh thanks honey and he goes just know this they're going to want to lynch you and I go what <laughs> he goes they're gonna want to lynch you homie you have a freedom on that stage that they don't have and they're gonna kill you for it yeah and he was right yeah I mean it, it, when you have those kinds of artists they're not everyone's cup of tea nope they're, as many people hated Paul as love Paul as many people hated Sam as love Sam in fact yep. I'd argue more people hated Sam than love Sam <laughs> you know uh, in, in the industry more right yeah industry wise yeah in the industry i used to yell at mooney like dude shut the fuck up get the paycheck and shut up yeah but i mean when when you see it it, it's brilliant to watch a performer do that and then when you go back and you look at some of the the greats and i mean the immortals Mm -hmm. some of them have been lost to time like i studied people you know like brother theodore or oh my god oh brother theodore holy shit i love some brother theodore or even more obscure lord buckley and you, you see how much these guys don't give a fuck and, and you sit there and you learn and I, I still to this day will break out a pen and paper and take notes here's how he did this this yep. is the construction of this bit and this is how he's performing it you know and break it down that way that's amazing like it's true and it, like it's sad because like now like you know we're, we're from the old days so you know this new school of comics that are out there now it's a whole different oh, yeah. weird like it's not that it's like oh the kids today and when I was your age and all that shit it's it's it, you know it is the when I was your age but it's more of how things evolve and generations change and things you know because of technology and shit these kids don't even know their history no and what what bothers me is when they don't care to learn because yeah. as a performer 
look, and this is going to be blasphemy. There's not much that Lenny Bruce did that I thought was genius, you know, right? Because I saw the people that came after him that learned from him and did it a little better and then perfected it. Yeah, Yeah, of course. What I did see was I saw, oh, that's where that came from. Yeah. You know what I mean? Somebody had to open a door somewhere and Lenny did that door. Yeah. And the people that don't even care or don't even bother anymore. Like I was talking to a young comic and, you know, African-American comic and he's talking about Chris and he's talking about Dave Chappelle. And of course he's talking about prior. And then I said, well, have you watched any Dick Gregory? Who? Oh, my heart just stopped. And and it's like, Lord Jesus, take me now. (laughs) No, no, no. You you need to study some Dick Gregory. You need to study some Flip Wilson. Oh, 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 is that the guy that did all all the chucking and driving stuff? No, 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 he didn't. You actually, no, you fucking idiot. You know, and and you, we, if you're a young comic and you're listening to this, you learn, learn from the people that came before you. Yeah. If nothing else, they're your college, they're your university. Well, that's one thing I loved about the comedy store because there's no club in New York or in the country that really has that comedy store vibe of like a family, like uh and respectfully, I kind of disagree with that because okay. this club was for me. Well, it, yeah, it was, but it's because the generations have changed and it doesn't hang on. I mean, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about this club with Jeannie and Tommy mm. is that they hang on to it as best they can. Yeah. But it, but the comics come and go, though, you know? Well, that's kind of our job to come and go. Yeah. Our job is to, to get as much as we can, get to the next level and, and get, get out, out of the way. You know, when I come back here, I come back here because it, it's this is home. This is family. It, yeah. if, if you look at my life, the most consistent house I have is that stage. Yeah. You know, that's true. You know, and, and mine was the comedy store, but you know, it, there is a camaraderie that exists, but what, what's frightening now is I still MC every once in a while and I'll come and I'll do shows. And I'm like, I know nobody on this lineup, like nobody on yeah. this lineup. You yeah. know, and, and then I'll come in other nights and I'm there like, I know everybody. Else. Yeah, like, oh, cool. It's a family affair. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's fun. It's definitely fun. No, I love this club. I recorded my album here. I mean, yeah. just because I wanted that old school vibe and that real gritty comedy. Things are funny and yeah. supposed to be funny and not watered down and shit. You know, I'm actually thinking because I'm about to hit. um 40 years since I started doing stand-up. September 5th, 1983 wow. was the first time. And then the first time I was up here, I don't have the exact date memorized, but it was in November of that year. I want to find that date because it'll be 40 years that I've been in this club and right. record a set on that night. Oh, you have to. And, and kind of release it as 40. Yeah. Just that's the name of the special. I love that. Yeah. You have to do it. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to try. <laughs> We, how can we find out? Like, would Jeannie and Tommy have any records? Cause oh, I have the, the com- records at home. Oh, I, you do? Oh, okay. I, I am one of those really obsessed people that I have, I've written down every time I've been on stage. I've written down everywhere I've been on stage. You know, who the lineups were as best I can remember. Uh, yeah, I, I'm insane. You're a savant. <laughs> no, That's code I'm an word idiot. for fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> now I never. Um, I remember the first time I went on stage, like at the comedy store, mm-hmm. like I was writing my little bits, and Freddie Soto, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Yelled at me. He goes, I'm sick of it, Miller. You're going on stage. You've had a couple months to get your three minutes together. I'm bringing you up tonight. And I'm like, God damn it. 
<laughs> so I went up and it was fun. It was like I I was at a, at a outer body experience. Everybody came upstairs to support. You know, Dom, Irera, yeah. Carlos Mencia, Rogan, Holtzman, like Dave Edwards. Like it was like, you know, a yeah. fucking alumni night. Like it was just like having that kind of support watch you on your first time and cheer you on. And it was just like, it's crazy. But it was December 18th in 1995. So my first time ever was a clusterfuck. It was okay. I will tell you this story is one of my favorite stories. Oh, I love these. Um, my sister knew that uh, I, I was a, a big fan of comedy, mm-hmm. and by that time I had already been writing for Billy Conley, right? Because um, he was a gang set to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. I was writing for a British newspaper, mm-hmm. um, and the editor, when my job was ending, said, "I have a friend who's a comic who needs." somebody to just Americanize some of his material. Sure. And I would get on the phone with Billy and, mm-hmm. and he'd tell me the joke and I'd go, well, what is that? And he'd go, that's a this. And I'm there like, oh, so this is the word you're going to use. Yeah. That literally was my job. I wasn't writing jokes for him. You were just, I, I was just Americanizing yeah, shit. Yeah, of course. And so, you know, one day I go to him, I got all these jokes for you. They told me I was going to write for you and I started rattling off the jokes and he went, those are great jokes. You need to do them. You know, and, and they're like, well, I don't, I don't perform, and and so my sister says, well, you know, you always wanted to do stand up. Let's for your birthday, for your nineteenth birthday, I'm going to take you to Catch a Rising Star, and you're going to watch oh, the I show. Oh, so I go to Catch a Rising Star with my sister and her friend and mm-hmm. the girl that I'm dating at the time, and we all go and we watch, and you know, it's a nice night, and we, I stay the whole night. My sister back then shows used to run four hours. Yes, and my sister's there, like, can we go? And I'm there, like, nope. You know, and, yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you got the bug. Yeah. So then, cut to the next week. I waited out the line. I got my number, and I go into the club the very next week to try doing my standup. And I wrote five minutes, and I've got it as anal as I am. I've got it down to within an inch of its life. Right. And I don't go on stage till about twelve thirty at night. Mm-hmm. By that time, the MC had finished, and it was the late night MC. There was a lot of drug use in the clubs back then. Stop. Shut up. There wasn't. <laughs> lack of a better way of saying so Everybody the, was happy. Yeah. <laughs> so the MC, you know, when she's about to bring me up, looks at me, recognizes me from the week before because it's the same MC, but right. she doesn't remember where she recognizes me from. Sure. So she just thinks I'm another comic she's worked with. Right. And she goes, uh, do me a favor. I'm going down to the basement while you're on stage. Don't finish till... I get back. Just stay on stage. It'll give you a little extra time. And... I start to panic because extra, <laughs> extra time. No, 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 I don't no. even have any time. And you're going to give me extra? I, I got five. I, I got just five. <laughs> she left me up for 15. Oh, my God. At, at 1230 in the morning. Oh, and let's Jesus. just say I did everything I ever wrote. I did everything of Freddy's I could possibly remember. Oh my I, God. I, I did, you know, at one point I was talking about the jokes and going, well, would it have been better if I did this? Like I did alternate takes of the jokes. Uh, Hilarious. <laughs> I, she brings me up. I get off stage. I, I go, and, and it's a fun night. But that 15 minutes in your first spot when you're only supposed oh, to do five. It's an eternity. Oh, you don't realize how long 15 minutes is. Uh-huh. You know, and, and then after that, when I started doing five-minute spots after that, it was easy. Yeah, because you've already been through hell. <laughs> yeah. Like, you went backwards. Yeah. Like, I always tell people, you know, because I started at the comedy store, I worked my way to the bottom. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I started at the top. Here I am with the highest echelon of comedians that I'm hanging with and yeah. working with, which was Mooney, Dice, had Rogan, we had Mencia, Eddie Griffin, Damon Wayans. You know, all these guys were around me at all times. And I would go on and they would support and, and, and totally help. And... And then as I got better and, and longer tenure, and then I moved to New York because of Paul Mooney, and then I'm working with him, and then that ends in 2012, and then I realized I ain't shit. <laughs> I went nowhere. Where the fuck have I been doing for the yeah. whole last fucking, what was it, like last 17 years? I am a nothing. <laughs> like This is it, terrible. It, it's funny because, you know, I was on stage at a club in South Jersey a couple of weeks ago, and it's a glorified bar with a spotlight pointed in a microphone, yeah. and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm going, I performed at Radio City. I performed at Madison Square Garden. I, you know, I've, I've done Lincoln Center. Yeah. And now I'm here. Yeah. I always do that. I'm like, yeah. I've been in this game 27, 28 years. I've played in theaters and, yeah. and, you know, everywhere across. I've opened for the legends. And here I am at this bar show with eight people that don't even give a fuck. I sucked all the wrong dick. <laughs> like, fuck my life. I literally, when I started, I made a, a bucket list of venues I wanted to play. Mm -hmm. And I've got them all but one. There's only one more on that bucket what's list. The, what's the one? Delacorte Theater in Central Park. Oh, wow. Like, if I ever, if HBO said you have your special, you could shoot it anywhere you want, Delacorte Theater Central Park. That, I would have never picked that for you. Yeah, that's, that but is that makes sense. One. But that makes sense. New York, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so New York. Yeah. See, I don't even know. I Because, see, I love, that's why I did my album here, because the comic strip is so New York, because it's been around 50 fucking years. My special that's on Amazon is from here. Yeah, it's yeah. just, just the vibe here is everything. Yeah. And um, and that's why I wanted to do my podcast and, and broadcast it out of here. Yeah. And then, but it's like, I don't know where I would do a special, but it has to be, I like grit. You know how I am. Yeah. I, I don't like pretty things. I don't like shiny, happy people. I like people with a little, I'm like Mitzi Shore. Oh. Yeah. You're gonna have an edge, you know, like Mitzi didn't like polished comedy. She didn't like perfect. She didn't like quaffed. She wanted a little rough around the edge and at a dark side, you know, like she Mitzi loved didn't it. like comedy. We we need to be honest. We need to admit this. <laughs> Mitzi was brilliant and and she understood comedy and she could point out some when someone was gonna be a genius, but you had to tie Mitzi to the chair to get her to watch a show. Yeah. She would do she would chew her arm off to not be in that room. Yeah. Yeah. It's, she didn't like comedy. I think she did because of her passion for it, but I think she loved us more than the actual art. I think the... But I also think she just got burnt out on it. I think the, the ex and the child both being... Yeah. Comedians yeah. kind of just put a nail in her coffin. Yeah, it, it made her so that it was not special. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah. With Sammy and Paulie. Gone. Terrible. The weasel. The, dude, I'm the weasel. Ouch. <laughs> dude, he would call my house. Because, <laughs> like, you know, there was time when Mitzi was getting very ill. So we'd call all of us comics work for the store. Yeah. You know, we all did like phones or, you know, cover booth, the lot, door guys, yeah. you know, wait staff. You know, I was the only waitress that could be a comic because we weren't allowed to talk to him. And then I broke that barrier. I love how they left that out of the documentary. But that's OK. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> I guess I am. Um, 
but uh she they you know so Polly's like calls me up and i'm like oh god it's Polly. like what are you i go hello and he goes dude bro what are you doing bro and i'm like i just got home from the gym what's up and he's like, dude, bro, you want to you come over to mom's and hang out with her? Because I want to hang out with Coldplay. I'm like, really? You're going to tell people you're hanging out with Coldplay? Yeah. That's something you're bragging about, don't, bro? Don't, don't admit that. And I go, do I? He goes, dude, I'll pay you, bro. <laughs> I was like, all right, if you'll pay me, make sure I have spots and don't fuck with my spots. Because, you know, I didn't want to get on his bad side because he would tell his mommy. He was one of the people that I would do with Sam. I would intentionally when I call Sam mm. I would call when he'd answer the phone I would do an impression of another comic <laughs> you know just to fuck with because it used to make Sam laugh and as a 20 year old <laughs> kid making yeah. Kennison laugh was like oh my god yeah exactly the world I would do him I, I would do uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite <laughs> uh, I would do Stephen Wright and, oh. uh, I would do Gilbert and he would go crazy when I would do Gilbert okay alright right now we're gonna do a phone call this is a phone call from 28 year old Jim Madrinos to a 20 year old Jim Madrinos a 20 a three year old Jim Madrinos to a very famous Sam Kennison um, Sam Sam it's Gilbert how are you <laughs> Sam I, I want I don't know what I want I want I want an emotion that's what I want Sam I want an emotion I don't know what emotion <laughs> I would just do that, and he would be rolling on the other side. I haven't done those voices in years, but he'd be rolling on the other side because, you know, as comics, what makes us laugh? You, you know, shitting over all shitting over on people. other comics. That's how yeah. we get off on each other. You know, it's just, it's just, but it's all in fun. But also, too, who would have the balls to call Sam Kennison and imitate another comic just for fun because you just felt like it? Well, it's because Sam would do that back to me, and he would he would grab the people that I knew from here. Like he would always call me as Dennis Wolfberg. Hilarious. You know, and, and it was hysterical because first of all, when he would say Dennis Wolfberg, Dennis Wolfberg Goldberg would never call me in a million years. <laughs> so I knew it was Sam immediately. You're like, Sam, could you pick a comic that, that I might talk to? Actually might be called- <laughs> you're, 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 you're fucking up the gag, bro. Yeah. And he would also let me know, like, I tried doing Seinfeld once, and, you oh, know, hilarious. Sam was like, nope, 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 nope. You suck at that one. Like, I can't do them all good. Can't be a winner. Yeah. I, I, I want to tell this Sam story, because this is exactly who Kenison was let's do it he would get drunk and at a place called bar on uh, on 90th and 2nd avenue and we had the keys to the home bar so the owner would just the owner gave me the keys because he looked at me and sam and went you're the responsible one and it'd be 20 year old me did he know the the one that wasn't even legal to drink in his place so he'd hand me the keys and he'd go just get sam someplace safe at the end of the night so we would drink it would turn into an after hours club at six in the morning it would end at about seven in the morning, Sam and I would wander out, <laughs> uh, usually with no more tequila left in the place. That of was course. the rule. And I lived at my mom's on 78th in York. So we would literally walk to 78th in York and he would crash on my couch right. for an hour or two till he had enough energy to get up. And I think he was staying with Eddie Feldman on the West side. So okay. he would literally just crash there mm-hmm. until he, he was sober enough to get to the next <laughs> one. So we would walk in and now my mother is the 
most Christian woman oh, you have ever met. Like at St. Monica's Church, the, her name is on the wall for having donated so much money over the years. Oh my God. And, and Sam would get there and, and we would both crash and my mom would wake up for work and Sam would pop up like a demented Jack in the box. Like, how are you doing, Mrs. Mandrinos? Can I make you some coffee? He would make her coffee. He would make her breakfast. He, she thought he was the nicest, <laughs> sweetest boy of all time. My mother saw me one time right. and she never came again because she thought I was too dirty and you, 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 I don't like the way you talk about God on stage. Like She's that <laughs> level of religion. So I'm here one night. I'm here one night at, at, at the comic strip and I'm on the show and I'm, Sam's on the show. And I see my mom and I said to my mom, I, it's great that you came to see me. She goes, I didn't know you were on the show. I said, what do you mean? She goes, oh, Sam invited me. He got me free tickets. Oh, God. She came to see Sam and I said, you, do you know what Sam does? Do you know what he does on stage? And my mom goes, it'll be fine. Don't even worry about it. She comes. She watches the show. She sits stone-faced for me. And, and as a comic, you know when there's somebody in the audience, you, your eye is drawn to them. Yep. yep. It's just like 20 years old, like all of, of the negativity of my childhood. coming. I'm having a psychotic fucking episode. Episode right on stage. <laughs> Two more acts go up. Sam goes up, and I see my mom rolling. I, and and he's doing some shit that I I know she's offended, and she is rolling. And then afterwards, you know, comes off stage, all hugs, good to see. You. I can't wait to see you at the house. And she le she leaves, and I go to Sam. How do you do that? And he, he goes, I don't know. I, I talk to my mom two days later, and she goes, Oh, you could tell that's just an act. He's a nice boy. <laughs> and I'm there like, oh really? Because he and I have both snorted cocaine off the same hooker. No, he's not a nice boy. <laughs> I'm your son. Okay. Yeah. Can I get the benefit of the doubt, please? Like, can I get like nepotism in this? Is there nepotism? Can I get was, use my nepotism card? My mother adored him, thought he was brilliantly funny. You know why? Because he got up and made her coffee and breakfast yeah. and he doted over her. That's why. Yeah. And, and you know bitches are easy. You know how Never we mind are. that. I've been doing that my whole fucking Life. Yeah, but no. you're the child. You're supposed to. <laughs> Not a grown-ass man who yeah, yells dude. at people in the audience. And, and Sam was only doing it so he wouldn't get thrown out. Exactly, because he's smart. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. brilliant. Oh, oh, my God, I fucking love it. <laughs> you know, I always like to wrap the show up and end the show. I always like to ask the comics, is there a bit that you've seen a comic do that you went, fuck, I wish I'd written that? So many of them. And, and when I... I you told me that this question was going to be on here um they're like okay you, you know which one is it and there's two that really stick out to me okay um and, and the one is ron shock's bit about being um he had a bit about his name and the evolution of his name and it's uh, I'm, I'm ron shock and that's short for shock volvinsky <laughs> Uh, my family emigrated from that part of Eastern Europe that got raped and killed on a regular basis. And after one particular awful bout of raping and pillaging, my family looked around and went, hey, we should move. <laughs> and I remember the first time I heard him say that, I, I'm doubled over in laughter. There's tears crying from my eyes. And I just realized I'm never going to write anything nearly that brilliant. 
Um, and the other one, and, and that's the obscure one that I hope comics will go study Ron and see what he does. But the other one that I, everyone knows, and if you don't know it, you should not be a comic, is Sam Kennison's Move to Where the Food Is. Oh, it's, uh, that's, and I quote that all, you see what this is? This is stand. <laughs> you know what it'll be a thousand years from now? Stand! Stand! Move to where the food is! <laughs> and that bit is on my list yeah. of top 10 bits I wish I had thought of. And, and there are so many great bits, it's hard to narrow it down. But those two in particular, I want... Man, you know, I had the same immigrant experience with my family, and yeah. I could have come to that, but shock beat me to it, and Ugh. I've had the same thoughts about world hunger, and Sam beat me to it. Those are the, the two that I'm, I'm probably most jealous of. Yeah, those definitely. And... Uh, yeah. And my favorite part, and every comic's favorite part, especially because I, you know, I worked with Paul Mooney for so many years that Paul would end his sets on his favorite street jokes. He'd take yeah. three or four, and he'd Mooney-eyes them and crush the room. And yeah. I, so, you know, as comics in the green room, we love telling street jokes. So what is your go-to? My favorite one, even after all these years, is the penguin joke. Tell it. I, 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 tell it. So there's a guy, and he's walking down the street, and he's got a penguin with him, and a cop sees him. And he looks at the guy, and he runs up to the guy. He goes, what's that? The guy goes, it's my penguin. Cop looks at him and goes, no, 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 no. You need to get that penguin to the zoo. Take him to the zoo. So the guy goes, okay, fine. I'll take him to the zoo. Chill out. He leaves. Next week, same street corner, same cop. <laughs> same guy's walking down the street with the penguin. This time, the penguin's got sunglasses on. And the cop sees him, and he, he is freaking out. And the cop runs right at beelines to him and goes, Hey, I thought I told you to take that penguin to the zoo. He goes, I did. Today, we're going to the beach. <laughs> I so adore that joke. It is stupid and fun. <laughs> Today, we're going to... That's so cute. I can't. I love... She said you had a couple. What was your other oh, one? I, oh, there... Because um, I know you have a million of them. There's one that, you know, the first time I heard it was in the 80s from one of the old, old Catskills comics. And, and it's a, a father and son are sitting in a room and the son goes to dad, uh, dad, can you tell me the difference between theory and reality? Dad looks at him and goes, go ask your mom if she would sleep with a strange man for a thousand dollars. So the kid goes to his mom and goes, mom, would you sleep with a strange man for a thousand dollars? Mom looks at him and she goes... Yeah, I would. Comes back and he tells his dad, Mom said she would. He goes, go ask your sister the same question. <laughs> so the kid runs and he asks his sister, would you sleep with a strange man for $1,000? And the sister goes, $1,000. Yeah, I would. Kid runs back and he goes, Dad, yeah, she said yeah, too. How is this theory in reality? He goes, well, in theory, we're sitting on $2,000. But in reality, we're living with a couple of whores. I love that joke. It's such a classic. I know. <laughs> oh, I fucking love you so much. Oh, I'm so glad you're fun. in my life, you know. We got to do this one again. Yeah, let's let's make it a regular thing. You got it. All right, so uh, tell everybody wherever you can follow Jim Madrinos. Uh, uh, on Instagram, you can go to Mandrinos in Exile. Mm -hmm. um, in Facebook, it's Jim Mandrinos. In Twitter, it's Jim Mandrinos. Just find me online and, and shoot me in line, and I will say hello.
Yes, and also don't forget to follow Comedy Diner on Instagram, please. And uh, it's a great comedy club. Go check it out. Call them for Showtime availability. Yep. And uh, I'll be back out there soon as well. So we'll have to have a big party out there. Woohoo! And uh, I love you so much. Thanks for being a part of Old School New School Comedy Podcast. We record here live. Well, kind of live, maybe dead at the comic show. Live to tape. Live yes. to tape. <laughs> live to microchip. Anyway. Uh, I love you guys. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this episode. And we love you, and I'll talk at you next week. Deuces.